be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever to the ages of all ages. Amen. So we started talking yesterday um, about being fit for the Master's use, being useful to God, being um, positioning ourselves, disposing ourselves in such a way that God can use us for His greater glory. And we started off with a few verses um, saying that God desires for us to be fruitful and that our fruit should remain and that even St. Paul was very concerned about this and said, lest having preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. So, and then yesterday we talked a little bit about the glory of God and it, the summary of it was those who choose to descend the deepest in their repentance, those who, who, who choose to go the furthest in their repentance are those who see the glory of God the most. And it was like an invitation for all of us, myself first and foremost, really, honestly, myself first and foremost, to repent and to turn to God and to tell Him, Lord, use me as you wish to use me, not as I wish, but as you wish. Enough of my desires. And so continue today with... Um, with our with with our theme, right? And going into the second talk, lest I be disqualified. I want to ask you a question. How many people do you think are gonna follow Saint Paul into heaven? You know? Like Saint Paul is gonna go into heaven. How many how many people do you think are going to follow him? We know something for sure that God loves to give us glory. Like it's something very strange about God. Glory belongs to God and God alone. But then somehow He loves to give us glory. I can only imagine, I don't know, but I can only imagine that God is going to take every single person that was touched by a word in the epistles of St. Paul in all of Christendom and say, because of this man, because of this man, and God Himself will be giving Him the glory. How about St. Anthony? How many generations of monks and nuns and monastics and lay people who were influenced by his teachings and who chose to live a holy life because of his example, or Saint Macarius, or Saint Peshoy, or, or, or more contemporary saints, or Menarini, Abunabshoi Kamen, Abunayustus, like who, like all of these people are going to have hordes of people, crowds of people following them into the kingdom. How about you? How about me? How about me? What's the fruit that I'm going to offer the Lord on Judgment Day? When on the last day, when I stand before God and I tell Him, this is, this Lord, this is the gift I brought you. This is what I brought you. You know, as a priest, I visit people all the time. Right? And especially when I'm visiting somebody I haven't visited before or uh, somebody I haven't visited in a long time, I feel awkward going to visit them empty handed. I feel like funny, you know, and sometimes in a, I'm in a really big rush and it's something that was not planned. So I find myself like I, I have one of two options either I go empty handed, I feel awkward, or I, I go late, which is like disrespectful. And, you know, try to be as punctual as possible, especially after Abuna telling us to be punctual and everything, you know, right? So how much more, right? So I find myself thinking, but I can't go. Most of the time, I tell you the truth, I choose to go 10, 15 minutes late, pick up a cake, pick up some flowers, pick up something. Because I, 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 
I feel awkward. So I'm going to walk into the kingdom of heaven empty-handed. Isn't it kind of funny? St. Paul says, even St. Paul says, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. What does this word disqualified mean? What do you think St. Paul is talking about? Do you think St. Paul is saying, maybe I will lose my salvation? Maybe there's no place for me in the kingdom of heaven? I can assure you, I really don't think that's what St. Paul is talking about. I mean, for example, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says, there is no, there no, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or in chapter 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so on and so on, many other verses, and we're not here condoning the teaching of salvation in a moment. You know, you're saved once and for all. I'm not saying that. But it, seemed, it seems very clear, if you read the epistles of St. Paul as a whole, that he didn't really have too much of a question of the assurance of his salvation. I don't think he was worried about, about is there room in the kingdom of heaven for me or not. I don't think that's what he was worried about. I think what he was worried about is, how will I stand before my beloved? who has loved me so much, and when he reveals the fullness of his love to me, and I'll come to him empty-handed, I'll come to him with nothing to show. What's really funny is that the more we labor in God's field, the more we feel that God is the one doing all the work. Like, God gave me an opportunity to work, and I kind of messed it up, and he saved the day, and brought much fruit out of it. So I, so I pray, God, please give me another chance. You know, the Samson prayer. God, just one more chance. And then he gives me another chance. And I, and I work in his field. And I mess it up. And he comes and he saves the day. Right? And much and great fruit comes from it. But between me and him, we know that I'm kind of like, so I, God, please, just one more chance. And another chance. And the funny thing is, the more we work with God, the more we feel... He's so great and His glory is so great and I'm so much in need of just one more chance, the Samson prayer, which God, by the way, honored, right? Which God honored. This word disqualified, I just looked it up in the Greek, you know, just to do a little word study on it and so on. It doesn't matter, adokimos, doesn't matter what it is, right? But basically, it, what St. Paul is saying, right, is... Lest having preached to others, I myself might find myself unfit or unproved or does not prove itself such as it ought to be. Like something which appears in one way, but then when you put it to the test, you find it's not, it's so-so. You know, you take the metal and it looks like pure silver and you put it in the refiner's fire and you get out only half or only a third. That's what St. Paul is saying. He's not saying like binary, like black and white, good or bad. But he's saying like, I'm supposed to be the apostle to the nations and between me and God, we know what I really am. I'm supposed to be, but what am I really, right? Lest I be disqualified. You know what it's like? I'll give you an example, okay? Suppose you all are very nice and generous and you decide to give me this Mont Blanc pen. 
I just attach the price just to, you know, make it like really, you know, vivid, you know, right? Suppose, and I write with it, and I write letters with it, and I write sermons with it, and I write words of encouragement to, with it, and every time I pick it up, I say, yeah, the servants of Mississauga, such nice people. And I look, and I, and I admire the pen. I love the pen, right? Eventually, what's going to happen? The ink is going to run out, right? So the ink runs out, and I look everywhere in the universe to get refill cartridges or whatever for the pen, and I can't find any. What would you do with the pen? What would you do with it? Keep it. Yeah, you're probably going to keep it, right? You're probably not going to throw it out, right? It has sentimental value, so you're probably not going to sell it. But what are you going to do with it? Yeah, you're going to put it in a, in a drawer, right? And every time you open the drawer, every time I open the drawer, I say, yeah, those Mississauga servants, they're such nice people, right? And then what am I going to do? I'm going to close the drawer, right? And the next time I open the drawer, am I going to be like, damn that pen, right? Or what am I going to say? I'm going to say, ah, oh, those Mississauga servants, they're so nice. Every single time, every single time, right? I'm never going to resent the pen. I'm never going to hate the pen. I'm never going to throw it out or sell it or get rid of it, right? Uh, or, or, or use it for something that it shouldn't be used for. But simply, I'm just going to put it in a drawer. Now, my question to you is, am I in the drawer? Am I in God's drawer? Have I run out of ink? God's not going to throw you. You're, you are far more precious than the most expensive pen in the universe, than the people who make the pens. You are far more precious. Far, 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 far more precious. But am I useful to God? Or am I like a sentiment, I have sentimental value to God? He looks at me and says... My son, John, what a great guy. Closes the door. That's what St. Paul is saying. That's what St. Paul is saying. Your choice, my choice. Do you want to live in the drawer? Or do you want to live a life that is going to keep you sitting at the edge of your seat? That is more thrilling than the most thrilling and suspenseful movie you've ever watched. Why do we watch movies? Why do we like stories so much? Because when I start telling you a story, for a moment, if you can relate to it, for a moment, you're able to, to escape your reality and enter a different reality and kind of live there for a little bit and come back. I want to tell you the reality that God has designed for you and me is more thrilling, is more exciting, is more suspenseful than any other reality. I promise you, the living saints that I've had an opportunity to meet with have all been held at gunpoint, at knife point, at they've all been they've all been imprisoned, they've all been rejected, and they've all been glorified and celebrated. And now, if that's not exciting, right? That's the stuff you see in the movies, right? You get to live it for real, right? You get to live it for real. When we were in Kenya the first time, 
Sayedna. Uh, we're just sitting like, we're just like sitting around all day. And Sayedna looked at us and he goes to us, what's wrong with you? Like, why are you still sitting here? And we told him like, well, we don't know what to do. He said, go, go, preach, like talk to people, tell them about Jesus. So we're like, Sayedna, we don't know what to do. He said, go, go. And we're in Tanzania, which is a Muslim country, right? 75% Muslim. So he told us, just go, just go and preach. Like, don't worry. And we told saying that's a Muslim country and we can't just go preaching openly and whatever. He's like, what's the worst that's going to happen? They're going to take you and they're going to slap you around a little bit and they're going to throw you in prison. And then I'm going to go pay them some money and they'll let you, uh, let you out. I might wait a day or two just so you can know what it felt like to be St. Paul. Like, just to continue on with the show, you know, like, like, right, like, like it's an act, you know, like, I'll, I'll pay them to catch you, put you in prison so you can feel like what it was like to be with the apostles, right? To be preaching and caught and thrown in prison with Rabum Shwaiyo, right? It'll be good, it'll be fun. What's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to get exiled from Tanzania, Yani, were you planning to come back, right? And he sat and made fun of us, right? And then he told us this story about this Swedish missionary, this guy who was atheist, and then he, uh, when he became Christian, it, it, he was possessed by the, 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 the notion that the only country the Lord Jesus Christ visited in the, whole, in the whole of his life, outside of his home country, was Egypt, and that that country is not Christian. He was, it was boggling his mind. So he went, he decided to go and start at the bottom of the Nile and work his way northwards. And he had a carpenter build a, a giant cross for him and he figured, I'm dragging up the Nile and everyone's going to ask me, what are you doing? And then I'll tell them that I'm here to tell you about the love of Christ as he died for us on the cross and rose from the dead and so on. Well, of course, he lasted, you know, I don't know, a couple of days or something, right? And then, boom, in prison, right? And they slapped him around for a bit and this and that and the embassy got involved and finally he got exiled out of Egypt, right? So, he was, Bishop Paul was telling us like, like he didn't die, nothing, nothing happened to him. And if he died, like, so, and if you die, like, if you die in the service of the Lord, like, how is that a bad thing, <laughs> right? Like, the whole world is telling us, that's crazy. But no, it's crazy to live on this earth with no purpose forever and ever, doing nothing, achieving nothing, with no goal and no purpose, and just turning in circles, not knowing where I'm going. That's madness. But to have a purpose, to have a goal that you wish to live for, that you're willing to die for, and then to die for it, that's not madness. That's a life fulfilled. I don't know. Everybody has their heroes. This is mine. That's what he did. Each person can choose. Honestly, I'd rather be this pen full of ink than this one empty. So that's kind of where we're going with the next two talks. In Ezra chapter 8, Ezra is commissioned by the, uh, the uh, emperor of uh, Persia to go back and restore the temple worship. So, to go and restore the worship. So, all the articles uh, of the temple, the relics of the temple that were there, that Nebuchadnezzar had taken off to Babylon, and then Persia overcame Babylon, and then they were given to Ezra to take back. So, Ezra realizes, he stops, says, uh-oh, hold on a second. These things are holy. And so they can only be handled 
by those who are holy. In, in Ezra chapter 8, verse 28, And I said to them, Ezra calls the priests. Twenty-some-odd priests answered the call. And he calls to the priests, he says to them, You are holy to the Lord, and the articles are holy also. And the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord, God of your fathers. Watch and keep them until you weigh them before the leaders of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel in Jerusalem in the chambers of the house of the Lord. Today, I promise you, I promise you, today the Lord Jesus Christ himself is telling you, you are holy. I have made you holy. Don't believe anything that the world tells you. Don't believe anything that the devil tells you that you are not holy. You are holy. And I have committed to you souls that are holy. Only you can handle them. We can't do some secular education program to, 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 take, to take care of the children of God. Because they are holy as you are holy. Keep them until you bring them into the temple of God, until you bring them to the throne of Christ on Judgment Day. And you can weigh them there. You can weigh them there and see, and, 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 and see that you have brought, I received, you know, a hundred kilos, I brought to you, Lord, a hundred kilos. Right? I brought you, Lord, I brought you, Lord, everything faithfully. St. Paul tells St. Timothy the same thing in his second epistle. He says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. God has given you a deposit. He has given me a deposit. These people whom we get to serve, they are God's treasure. Jesus died for them. There's this beautiful prayer by Father Pashoy Kamel where... He talks about how he says, like I look, like like I look to like the beautiful youth who are singing the praises of God and serving Him and the deacons, and I say, "You are the blood of Christ." And I look to the youth who are lost in the streets and who are doing drugs and prostituting themselves and so on, and I say to them, "You are worth the blood of Christ." Jesus has made all of us holy, and the potential for us to live. Very holy, very much holy, but it's up to us. Even Jesus says, for their sakes I sanctify myself. Even Jesus says, for their sakes I sanctify myself. I all of us have our times of up and down, all of us. So I was confessing, you know, some time ago, and I was speaking with my spiritual father, and I was telling him that, like, you know, sometimes I get lazy. And I kind of said it complacently. So he stopped me and said, Like, forgive me. If you're not going to pray for your own salvation, if you're not going to pray for the love of Christ, if you're not going to pray because you enjoy your fellowship with Him, at least pray for the sake of those whom you serve. Don't neglect them. Like, if you don't love yourself, and you don't care about yourself, and you don't love God, at least love these people whom God has given you to love. And, he, and they have no one else other than you. Sanctify yourself. Sanctify yourself, Abuna. My spiritual father was telling me, for their sake. 
the priest that, and you look if you look in the rubrics, um, like like the instructions for the liturgy before the liturgy, it says the priest purifies his thoughts and actions internally and externally, and most important, he must be internally pure of all transgressions, lest he receive judgment unto himself, according to the saying of St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, and he shall be at peace with all men. He must be externally clean in body and clothing, his hands and feet washed, and he must be careful not to taste anything at all. He has to set himself apart. But I want to tell you, this is... This is like in the sacrament of the priesthood, you know, and sort of part of, you know, how we prepare ourselves for the liturgy. We sit and think to ourselves, is there anyone I've hurt? Is there anyone I've harmed? Have I asked for their forgiveness? Have I apologized? Am I harboring any ill will in my heart? Am I prepared? If not, I repent. But this is not like exclusively for the priests. Maybe, you know, washing this and that and so on. Right? But it's for each one of us. Each one of us who have to realize that what God wants to give us is so precious. Is so precious. It, it requires holiness. And that's just, that's all that holiness means. To be set apart. To be separate. To be different. Right? In 2 Corinthians it says, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is what what is unclean and I will receive. You know what's very interesting? A lot of a lot of the instructions of God require simply not that we do something but that we not do something. Like for example, it says he who endures to the end shall be saved. It only requires that we endure. It doesn't say, you know, he who like, you know, saves the universe and builds the Eiffel Tower shall be saved. No, just he who endures to the end, right? What is it? St. James saying, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's enough. It's not, I don't need to overcome temptation and crush the devil and so on. No, that's God's job. To crush the devil under our feet, that's the prayer that we pray. That's the prayer that we, that's the, the, con the concluding canon. Like that thing that we say, I mean, it's called the canon, right? That's the concluding canon during during the Feast of the Cross and during the, the Holy Week of Pascha, right? Trample Satan under our feet. That's God's job, to trample Satan. My job is to resist. It's enough for me to resist. It's enough for me not to partake. This is un unholy. It's enough for me to not to partake, right? Separate ourselves from what? From our old habits, from our old ways. Separate ourselves from excessive appetites, whatever they may be. Separate ourselves from worldly alliances. Sometimes you find other people are dragging you down. That's not doesn't mean that they're bad. It just means that the combination of me and that person is not good for me. Maybe it's good for them, but it's not good for me. Right? It doesn't allow me to do what I was made to do. It doesn't allow me to fulfill my purpose. Separate myself from worldly aims or worldly ambitions. Ambition, by the way, is not a bad thing. Right? It's selfish ambition that St. Paul warns us about in Philippians chapter 2. But many people have holy ambition. Many people cry with tears for the salvation of the world and for the salvation of specific people. Is that not ambition? It's ambition. 
is a very different kind of ambition than building an empire. So many things in this world that I just need to resist. I just need to not partake. I tell you the truth, honestly, I don't even judge them. I don't personally, I'm telling you personally, I don't even judge them. I don't even say, that is bad. That's bad or that's good. Just it's not good for me, right? Somebody who's diabetic, right? Shouldn't eat cake or whatever. I don't know, right? Does that mean that cake is bad? I don't know. Maybe cake is good for some people, right? But it's just not good. It's just not good for me, right? Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Very simple. Very, very, very simple. Either I follow myself or I follow Christ. Uh, the entirety of our spiritual life can be described as a movement from self-centeredness to Christ-centeredness. That's, that's what spiritual life is. It's learning to say no to me. Not to other people. Just to me. As simple as that. I'll finish with another analogy. You know, if you have like a remote control racing car and it's a lot of fun and you love racing it, life is good, right? Until what? Until it runs out of power, right? Then when it runs out of power, you know, it ends up with all the other junk in the junk pile. It ends up with all the other junk in the junk drawer, right? Never fear that God will throw you, throw you in the garbage. God will never throw you in the garbage. You are far too precious. I'm far too precious. But I always want to be that pen full of ink, ready to write the words of love of God to the world, ready to tell the world how much, how much God loves them and how much God is willing to do anything for them, even to die for them. I always want to be ready. I always want to be full of power. I always want to be full of juice, ready to go, ready to serve Him. I never want God to come one day and tell me, can you do this? And I say, I don't know. Friend of mine, my age, like not like, uh, you know, doesn't glow in the dark or drip oil or nothing, you know, nothing special, you know, right? Just a nice guy. He and his wife decided that they're not going to hang any pictures in their house. Right? And, um, and they, like, they, anything that breaks in their house, they repair it immediately. Why? Because they felt that, like, it wasn't practical for them not to buy a house. But at the same time, they wanted to remain very mobile. They both, like, have, like, uh, they're self-employed. They have, like, online businesses and stuff, so they can work from anywhere. So they wanted to be flexible in God's hands. If God tells me, get up and go... They live in an area which is very, like the real estate market is very hot. They can sell their house in a week and go where God wants them to go. Even pictures, they didn't want to hang pictures in their house. They didn't want to ruin the walls and whatever. So that be, if they need to move, they can move like this. They want, it to be, they want to be useful for God. They don't want the stuff that God has given them to be a hindrance, to be something that be stands between them and God, but rather something that allows them to serve God, to serve God more. How are we made holy? Through the body of Christ. 
St. Paul tells us in Hebrews, he says, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Don't ever believe the devil telling you you are unholy. This is a lie. This is plain and simple, without any shadow of a doubt, a lie. Your holiness was achieved for you in baptism, was sealed by the Holy Spirit. God himself is assuring your holiness. Now, maybe I participate in things that are unholy and so on. That doesn't make me unholy. That makes me someone who's wasting my time and wasting my resources, right? We're also made holy through the action of the Holy Spirit. At the end of the liturgy, when the priest is coming out with Holy Communion, he says, the Holy is for the Holy. Blessed be the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the sanctification is by the Spirit. Is God's Spirit living in you? Is God's Spirit sealing you in, this, in, in, in the sacrament of chrismation? Like a seal covering you. Like this table is covered with a tablecloth. Nothing can touch this table as long as the tablecloth is here. The tablecloth is sealing the table, protecting the table. You are, have been sealed in holy chrismation by the Holy Chrism, by, by the Holy Spirit Himself, God's Spirit Himself sealing you, covering you. Every, that's 36 anointings, every, every nook and craggy, every, every little indent of your person has been sealed by Him. Lord, may we be holy as You are holy, Lord. May we be perfect as You are perfect. Maybe we all we always be useful to you, always full of ink, always full of power, always full of your spirit, always ready to move and ready to act, never hindered by our own desires, Lord, never hindered by my, my, my own lusts, you know, like you tell me to serve and I want to go eat, you tell me to serve and I want to go sleep. May we, Lord, always be soft and in your hands, quick to obey, quick to do, have an immediate responsiveness to you. Hear our prayers, Lord, from the bottom of our hearts, begging you, Lord, asking you, Lord God, you cannot leave us, whom you have invested so deeply in, you cannot leave us half full, half ready to serve, half ready to make a difference, half ready to bear fruit. Please, Lord, fill us up to the brim with your Holy Spirit. Make us ready. Give us to let go of everything that is not helping us to serve you, that is, hindering us from serving you, to devote ourselves entirely to serving you, today and every day, to you be the glory and honor and worship forever and ever. Amen.